Hey everyone, I've got some exciting news. We're unlocking Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2 and making it available for everyone on our public feed. But if you love our work and want to be the first to listen to Season 3 as it's being released, head over to Patreon. There you'll find break-free versions of past SDS9 episodes, Southpaw and Fight Study, and our other bonus show, Fighter's Brew. You'll also find our Liberation Martial Arts program, which is exclusive to our supporters. It's for beginner and advanced martial artists, as well as people just looking for fitness and rehabilitation. It's a gentle, wholesome, and embodied approach to training. Lots of individuals, trainers, families, friends, collectives, activists, and organizations are already using it. So if you want to support our work and get early access to all our great content, including Season 3 of SDS9, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod and join our community. You can also go to southpawpod.com and find the links there or on our show notes. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. This is Southpaw Deep Space Nine Season 2, where we analyze Deep Space Nine and Star Trek from a political and historical lens episode by episode. I'm watching DS9 with fresh eyes, and Scott is the veteran Trek fan. We are discussing Season 2 of DS9, Episode 22, The Wire. Scott, tell us about this episode. I was going to sing the song The Wire, but I'm not, I'm not giving Kanye West any props anymore, so not going to sing that song, but I thought it would have been cool. I guess I could have sung the Shock Khan version, but in an alternate dimension, I did. Garrick and Bashir are having a walk on the promenade as Garrick is waiting for a shipment. They talk about a never-ending sacrifice, a Cardassian novel, repetitive epic that Garrick lent him. Bashir points out that duty to country is not the apex, but Garrick, Garrick disagrees. Garrick and Bashir disagree, and Garrick starts falling ill while waiting for lunch, which they have about once a week. Bashir wants to take Garrick to the infirmary, and Garrick refuses, makes a missive, and goes to his quarters. Bashir meets with Dax to look at a Ladonian plant. All Daxes apparently were bad at horticulture. Keiko is not present to help, because obviously she would help, but she was not there that week. Bashir is worried about Garrick. Garrick has a past, but won't reveal what it is. He says, I'm just a tailor. They have lunch once a week, but the mistrust goes both ways. Bashir sees Garrick making a deal with Quark. Bashir asks Quark what's going on. Quark says he's getting Garrick a tailoring machine. Maybe. Cisco stops by the infirmary. O'Brien comes to help Bashir. He wants to find the medical files. Feels like a HIPAA violation. Miles cannot do it with haste, though, so it's sort of a dead end. Quark calls Bashir to Quark's. Garrick is incredibly drunk on a Cardassian drink called Kinar. 
He's apologetic for his behavior until Bashir insists he take him to the infirmary. He gets upset, but then he has a seizure-like malady. In the infirmary, they see that Garrick has a brain implant connected to his nervous system. And by the way that there's scarification, it's been there for a long time. Bashir asks Odo to look into Cork and Garrick's transaction. It turns out that, you know, questionably, Odo just monitors all of Cork's conversations. Doesn't seem legal to me. Not really feeling Odo this week. Cork has been talking to Cardassians probably for Garrick. Cork meets with Bohika, a Cardassian business partner. Cork asks for a, pay- a favor, a request for a piece of Cardassian tech. But it turns out the tech is classified, and Bohika is just like, why did you mess with this? I'm going to be caught by the Obsidian Order, which are like the eyes and ears of the Car- Cardassian bureaucracy and government. Garrick has left the infirmary, it turns out. When Bashir goes to his quarters, Garrick says there's nothing that he can do. Garrick is on a lot of painkillers and in lots of pain. It turns out that his brain implants were put in by the head of the Obsidian Order to keep from talking in torture, and when turned on, constantly puts endorphins in the brain. It turns out that Garrick really finds being in Deep Space Nine painful and unpleasant, and decided about two years ago that he just would turn it on all the time. So all the time, he's sort of numbing his pain of being on Deep Space Nine though it's malfunctioning. And Garrick is basically addicted to it. It's, it feels like an addiction. And, but Bashir really wants to save Garrick, and Garrick tells him that he doesn't deserve saving. And then he tells a story where he says that he was a monster and he was a gull and was, was responsible for killing many Cardassians and Bajoran prisoners. And it turned out that on the ship that he was responsible for killing, there was a prominent Cardassian a uh, child of an important person, and Garrick was stripped of all of his ranks and exiled to Deep Space Nine. But Bashir's like, my oath makes me unable to let you die, so I don't care. I'm going to help you. I'm, we're going to turn off the brain device, and I'm going to help you with it, with your withdrawals, because there will likely be withdrawals. And as this is happening, Odo wants to talk to Garrick, because now that he knows that he's part of the Obsidian Order, he wants to talk about murders that were probably connected to them. And Bashir's like, nah, you can't come talk to him until the withdrawals are over. So Bashir watches Garrick's withdrawals, and it's painful. Garrick gets upset and agitated and then tells a different story where he was, the, he was once the heir to the Obsidian Order and was under the leader of the Obsidian, Obsidian Order, Enebrin Tan, Tain, Enebrin Tain. And he was like, well, actually, what I was responsible for wasn't shooting the ship down. Um, one day I was hungry, and I made me see the meaningless and cruelty of war and helped some young Bajorans escape. And that's the reason why he's on Deep Space Nine. And then in that state, he attacks Bashir and then has another seizure-like instance. And the medical team comes, and Bashir sees that Garrick is basically dying from the implant being disconnected. The addiction actually changed his chemical structure. And Bashir doesn't have the Cardassian tech or medicine to be able to help him. 
And then Garrick tells the story again that his partner in the order, Elam, uh, were together called the Sons of Tain. And they were just considered the, the prodigious children of Tain. And Garrick, it wasn't that Garrick helped the ship prisoner escape. Uh, Garrick was accused of it. And he and Elam both tried to double cross each other at the same time, except Elam did it first. And that's why Garrick was exiled. And Garrick asks for forgiveness and they hold hands. And I think most people that watch the show believe that if Deep Space Nine was made now, we hope that the chemistry between Garrick and Bashir would be explored differently. Bashir goes to meet Anna Brentain, who knows who Bashir is. He knows what drink he likes. He likes Targaryen tea. And he knows what's going on with Garrick. Even though he's retired, he knows everything. He has this sort of like, FBI, CIA, I just know shit. He's like, I know that you like tennis. And Bashir is like, dude, that's weird, but I need to make Cardassian leukocytes to save Garrick's life and asks Tane if he can get him the information to save Garrick's life and Tane will have all the data sent because he says that he wants Garrick to live an old, miserable life, growing old around people that hate him, never getting to go home. And Bashir asks about Elam, which turns out that Garrick's, that's Garrick's first name. So everything that Garrick's been telling him is probably a lie. And then sometime later, a few days later, Garrick meets Bashir for lunch and he's all better. And Garrick just wants to move on. He doesn't want to talk about the past. Though he does mention that Odo asked him about being in the Obsidian Order and says that he was not. And Garrick and Bashir talk about the lies. And he says that all the stories were true. And Bashir says, what about the lies? And he's like, especially the lies. And then he gives Bashir a copy of Meditation on Crimson Shadow, which is a far futuristic Cardassian novel. A note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi, or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. Now this episode is heavy. Garrick is drinking and we find out he's got substance abuse problems. He's coping any way he can, self-medicating to deal with trauma. This is all too common. The performance by Garrick was incredible, especially the confessions to Bashir. But here's the thing. Regardless of what's fact or not, the emotions are true. Garrick hates himself and misses home, but he also hates what he's done to Bajor. He wants to die, but finds the only redeemable thing in his life is his lunches with Bashir. Those are real. Seeing hungry Bajoran kids and interrogating people who knew nothing were probably true. Whether he actually let kids go, we don't know. What we do know is he thought about it. Trauma makes memory fragmented, nonlinear, and unreliable. 
trauma breaks you into pieces. And from that standpoint, Derek makes more sense. And trauma isn't only suffered by victims, but also victimizers. That's the thing with PTSD, especially with military. It's not always because of what you saw or what was done to you. It's also what you yourself did. PTSD doesn't discriminate. And that's the complexity of this episode. It's making us grapple with the moral gray and empathize with victimizers because they're fully fleshed out people too. And to that point, I like to point out that not all intergenerational trauma is the same because one family's trauma can come from causing another family trauma. The trauma of the fascists is not the same as the trauma of their victims. From a moral and historical standpoint, how we get there matters. Kira and Garrick both have trauma, but how they got there is different. Jair Bolsonaro is now living in Florida. I'm sure he'll talk about his own trauma like other fascists and anti-communists from Latin America, but it's not the same trauma as their victims. And the West really never focuses on the trauma of their victims. So then you hear about the Vietnamese who allied with the U.S., but they'll never tell you the stories about the Vietnamese they victimized or the stories of their families or the trauma they have to carry. So then only the U.S. gets humanized while their victims keep getting dehumanized. What if you only heard about the trauma of Cardassians and Cardassian soldiers, but never about Bajorans? Think about how the U.S. always uplifts the voices and trauma of little Bolsoneros and little Cardassians. Think about how the U.S. portrays U.S. military and police. How many stories and shows and movies are about them? At preschool, cops and soldiers are the first heroes kids are told about in the U.S. But there's always trauma whenever you serve the empire. Always to its victims, sometimes to the culprits. My parents never wanted me to join the military because they were like, you don't know what they'll make you do. So it's not just about the possibility of me getting killed. My parents were also thinking about the people I might end up having to harm. And also they were thinking about what if I did survive and I did have to harm people? What would I have to live with? A lot of people work for the state knowing they'll take orders, but not thinking about the moral implications. Hell, not even the state. It can even be companies and corporations. There's so much fuckery from people just following orders. Or someone might go in knowing the moral implications and think they'll be cool with it. And some actually are cool with it. And others, surprisingly, aren't as cool with it as they thought. Or they really fooled themselves into believing the empire was a moral project. Though with the internet and all the voices out there, that seems harder and harder to believe. It's more the reality that we all change as people, and sometimes people change and regret their past actions. This is true for all of us in big or small ways. Now, what's unique about Garrick is he's very self-aware. He lies to others, but doesn't lie to himself. And what we see here is the price of that awareness. So he tries to medicate that awareness away. Extreme trauma like PTSD isn't even necessarily a memory. It lives in your body and therefore can remain triggered 24-7. Right. And he's also functionally an addict because that, that brain stimulation sounds a lot like being sedated on, 
on some sort of narcotic. Almost, almost things to almost like feels like he's on just like constantly on a benzodiazepine or something, which is like a an anxiety medicine, like a Xanax or a Clonopin or or Ativan or Valium, something that reduces anxiety but also can have a euphoric feeling as well. It felt very accurate to encounters that I've had with people in withdrawal. It was very impressive. It's like a 4.5. And without giving too much weight, the the questions of who Garrick is will continue to be questioned. This episode deals with the gray, as you mentioned, Scott, the obsidian. That's what the intelligence community deals in. Bad people aren't all evil, cartoonish villains. I think cartoonish supervillains make us feel better than the reality that some of them can be like Garrick. Then there's the other end, like CIA agent and Yale professor Richard Bissell. He was in charge of many overthrows, massacres, and genocides, like in Guatemala. When asked in an interview about the morality of what he did, he said he never gave him much thought, and neither did anyone else he knew. This is why I said culprits don't always face trauma, and they often get rewarded. I don't think Kissinger feels trauma. There you go. And Bissell, like Kissinger was treated as a hero and still remembered as a good person. And that's scarier. Not Garrick or people who are hated, but Bissell and Kissinger and the Dulles brothers and Reagan and people who the country and America treat as heroes. Bissell doesn't feel bad because the average American, including liberals, think what he did was good. That's what fucks me up at night. Most mainstream Germans think Hitler was a monster. But most mainstream Americans think their own historical Hitlers were heroes, founders, patriots, frontiersmen, cowboys, and fathers, thinking murderers with no sense of guilt are good people because they did it for the right state. But that's not principles. That's nationalism. And U.S. nationalism is white nationalism. Oh, yeah. And it, it's not just specific to America. It's a very Western colonial imperialist idea. If you, you know, French people still, they revere Napoleon as a hero, even though his existence was incredibly violent for many. If you even just, if you look at Haiti, you're like, oh yeah, he's a monster. He was responsible for many deaths or how people in in England cape for Winston Churchill to this day, or still care about royalty. His obsession with royalty is so strange. And even if they say they feel bad, they don't really feel bad because then where's the reparations? Where's giving the land back? Now, this episode was excellent, but it wasn't driven by the myth-making or the plot, but by the acting, where we, like Garrick, have to question our own internal contradictions. The lies, the contradiction of being an American, that Americans are hypocrites. That's the most fucking true thing, truer than any fact. Garrick is right. Scott, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I think we I think we covered a lot of it and the thoughts that I was having about, you know, positionality and how most people will ex- express pain both the oppressed and the oppressor and No, I feel like I feel like we hit everything. And as a companion to this episode, I'll link the Southpaw episode on trauma-informed coaching 
in the show notes. I think even we as viewers should be trauma-informed. Absolutely. Great episode. Scott, can you tell us a bit about the next episode? So the next episode is called Crossover. So everybody get your goatees because we are going to the mirror universe. Until then. Ta-da-da-da. <laughs>